Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. Well, everyone, well, welcome back to session two of uh, this conversation we're having on the Bible. Uh, we've called this video teaching series uh, the Bible, but more than a book. Understanding that there's something beautiful and mysterious and powerful that from the beginning of the story of Christianity, the Bible was understood more than just a book. And in this session, I want to talk a little bit about this idea that the story of Jesus and the story of Christianity actually is flourishing in the first century before the Bible even exists in, in the way we have it today. And that's an important thing to understand, that the Bible, the way we have it today, would take some time to develop. And, and I want to talk today about how we actually got the Bible that we have today. Now, for some of you, I need to warn you that this will feel a little bit at times academic or like, uh, like being in school, but don't, don't kind of lose the flow of how important this is. So I want you to kind of stay, stay with me and understand how understanding this better gives us kind of this new confidence to be able to have a dialogue with a friend who doesn't believe what we believe or we're able to just appreciate the sacrifices that were made by others to get us to where we are today where we almost take it for granted that we have a Bible and we could just read it or not read it whenever we want. In the second session, I want to begin by telling you a story. It's another story that really helped me think about who taught me about the Bible. And what assumptions do I have about the Bible that need to change? And hopefully this will help you think about the assumptions that you have about the Bible. Like so many assumptions that we have that we just don't realize. Like one assumption for many people is that they think that the Bible is in order. And then they realize that the Bible that we have is not given to us in chronological order. And that's always like a real shattering concept. Or the fact that most of the Bible is written in a language that Jesus never spoke. Like most of the New Testament is in Greek and from all we know is that Jesus probably didn't speak Greek. And so that can be shocking. So we all have these assumptions and then when somebody shares that with us, uh, it kind of shatters our thinking and makes us have to wrestle with a lot of questions. And so we hope you're doing that in this session. But I remember when I was about 17 years old, I had one of my first real camp meeting experiences. I went to this camp and I, my family didn't grow up in church and I wasn't familiar with kind of a Christian camp where young people get together and encourage one another to grow and make new friends, which is a beautiful thing. And I wasn't ready for that experience because I was one of my first times going. And I remember the preacher did something with the Bible that really confused me and had me thinking about how I learned about the Bible. This preacher got up on stage. He was a great communicator. I remember him really preaching, passionate about God and passionate about rallying us as students to like read the Bible and love Jesus. And then he stood up on a chair and, and he picked up his Bible. He had this big Bible with notes coming out and he was on a chair and I, I'll try to stand on this. I'll kill myself. But think about standing on this chair and he said, this book is the manual for your life. And you could just imagine the kids, the, the roar, these kids, you know, half of them don't even read. It's like, ah, whatever that meant. And I remember it took me about 10 years to correct the error of understanding the Bible as a manual. Like I thought it kind of made sense at first. And I think I understand what he was trying to do to tell me like to take seriously that the Bible matters, to use it as a, as a guide. But I realized that nobody actually reads manuals. 
Nobody ever decides they're going to go in their car and open the manual. Or something breaks in your house, you don't like, oh, here's the manual. We read this every day as a family. A manual is actually an image in our culture for something you just go to when you have a problem, even if you do that. Or you just search it online. Right? And so what ends up happening is if we leave the Bible as just this book that's a manual, we actually begin to use the Bible as a book that we approach at our convenience. When we have a problem, when something is broken, when things are not going the way we want them to, instead of seeing the Bible as this living book like we saw in session one that we feed on and go to and live in the story of regularly. And so in this second session, I want to help you to think about what that means and maybe to work through some of your own assumptions. Just questions about like, when did I first start to learn about the Bible? And although people that loved me, my family, my friends had good intentions, maybe some of those images that were helpful at the time actually break down as we go on. And so as we begin this session two, I want to remind you if you missed session one that I gave you some homework at the end of session one. I asked you to slot yourself in three different categories depending on where you're at. And, and if you don't remember them, here they, are, here they are. That most people approach the Bible in three ways. The first is we approach the Bible for our own sake. We have a question, we have a concern. We decide, hey, do I have a Bible around here? Do we even own a Bible? I want to look up what the Bible says about blank. Everybody almost starts their experience with the Bible that way. I mean, it's really rare that somebody's introduced with the Bible with a good theological lens and a good framework and all that stuff. So that's normal. But the second approach people often have with the Bible is they approach the Bible in order to just love the Bible more. So they know it better, they understand archaeology, they understand history, they understand all this stuff. But the third approach, which is the one I want to encourage you to think about, is what does it mean to love reading the Bible because you want to love more, you want to fall more in love with Jesus. You want to grow closer to who Jesus is and draw closer to the things he's calling you to. So I asked you to kind of slot yourself in that world to help yourself kind of just be honest about where you're at. Because in the second session, I'm going to kind of help us understand something much deeper about what it means that the story of Jesus begins as something oral and passed on even before the Bible that we have exists. And like I said, this might be difficult to understand at times. So I'll slow down and I'll give you some time. And if you need to get a notepad and at times we might have a graph that will appear on the screen to just help you see something, especially if you're a visual learner, sometimes it helps to have kind of a, a graph. So let me begin by just helping you understand this word that we use all the time. And the word is word of God. I mean, obviously three words, one idea. The word of God. Just think about it. Say it in your head. The word of God. This phrase or this kind of title is used in the Bible many different ways. And for most of us, because we're so privileged by having the scriptures already in a written format, canonized is the historical word, in the form of our Bible today, that maybe you're holding or you have with you, right? That you're studying or taking notes in, right? We can forget that there is the word of God before we have the Bible like this as our word of God. And the Bible actually tells us who the Word of God is. So let's begin by understanding, uh, to explain to you, kind of the framework of the three different ways we should understand the, the phrase, Word of God. I'll begin with the first. It's the most important. It's actually the glue that holds all the others together, 
And it might sound really, really cheesy, but guess what the answer is? Yes, the answer is Jesus, okay? That the Bible calls Jesus the word of God. This is like so important that from the beginning of the story of the New Testament and the resurrection and Jesus being alive, we're introduced that Jesus's title is the word of God. And one of the gospels that does this is the gospel of John. So I want to read it for you. And I want you to feel this because when we often, when we read it, we can miss this and we can fail to understand this. And this is what John says right at the beginning of his gospel. It says this, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Jesus is God. He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Now, John wants to help us understand, and he's writing to people who speak Greek. And so he wants to use a word that they understand that makes them fall in love with Jesus. That's what we all want. All of this video prep, all of the stuff that we do, your church, your home, all of that kind of revolves around us wanting people to say yes to Jesus. And John understands that. And so one of the ways I want you to understand this first way of understanding the word of God when it's talking about Jesus is to add two words in front of that word of God. It's to see Jesus as the eternal incarnate word of God, okay? That Jesus is eternal. He's there before all time. He's always going to be there. He always was there. He's, he is God. And at some point, this word of God becomes incarnate and comes to us in the form of a human. So John introduces us to the idea that Jesus is, you hear it? The word of God. That's what John's going to say. And the word that John uses in the scriptures, the Greek word for word, is a really profound word, okay? Did I say word like seven times there? Okay, word, 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 okay? The word is logos, L-O-G-O-S, logos. It's the Greek word that John uses. And it's a profound word in the ancient world of the Bible because logos is a word that the Greek-speaking people, the philosophical world at the time of the Bible, used for many different things. And one of the most essential ways that people understood this mysterious word, logos, is that it was the ordering presence of everything. And it gave reason and meaning and order to everything that happened in the world. So you see how John is actually very, very clever by saying, if you want to know how everything holds together, if you want to know how order in the world comes together, if you want to know the reasons why things happen, how they happen, you should first understand that there's one called Jesus who is the word of God. Now, it might be really strange for us, and it, it was strange for me the first time I understood this concept, because I'm like, well, why would the Bible call Jesus the word of God? Like, it, it kind of doesn't make sense. It, there's a lot of room for confusion there. Well, when you understand the ancient language, you can see how the translation in English doesn't always even capture the deep meaning of the Bible. Right? And so one of the, the things that I've learned over time is to make sure that I understand that the Bible comes to us in different genres, like story and parables and history books and poetic books, right? There's all that we have to learn, but also different languages that we have to engage in and learn with other people and journey with others so that we don't get lost when we're alone. And that's why I'm so encouraged that many of you are doing a session like this to help you. 
But one speaker that I love and is a, a profound thinker and biblical thinker, his name is John Piper. Some of you maybe heard of him. He's a Bible teacher and a pastor and writes extensively on many themes related to the Bible. He has this great commentary on why maybe John uses this word logos to talk about Jesus, to point to Jesus as the word of God. And this is what John Piper says. He says, it seems to me that calling Jesus the word is John's way of emphasizing that the very existence of the son of God is for the sake of communication. That Jesus comes as the word of God for God to communicate something with us that we could have never understood any other way. Now, what do you think God is trying to communicate to us? How might God be trying to communicate to you even now? Think about how beautiful it is that God decides that he's so in love with us and wants us to understand his love in such a deep way that he doesn't just send us a sign in the sky. He doesn't just send us a telegram. He doesn't just send, he sends us himself as his words incarnate among us. The first understanding of the word of God is that Jesus is the word of God. Now, later on in the New Testament, this theme of Jesus as the word of God is going to get picked up again by Paul. Paul was one of the writers of the New Testament. I'll tell you a little bit more about him in a little while. He writes to this church in Colossae. It's the letter that we call the letter to the Colossians. And he's going to connect the pieces of Jesus, the word of God, who is there from the beginning, who now is incarnate and was eternal and still among us. And he's going to say this profound thing about what God is communicating to, to us. And this is what it says in Colossians. You can follow along in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. It says, for in him, in Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Wow, that's big. That's everything. All things were created through him and for him. Just think about that for a minute. That you were created for Jesus. That your kids were created for Jesus. That everything around us was created for Jesus. Now, don't get confused. Paul's not saying that Jesus needs those things, but it's that, that we exist and we find our meaning when we're oriented towards the purpose of glorifying who Jesus is. And then he finishes off like this, that all things were created through him and for him, and he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I mean, how beautiful is that? That the word of God, the incarnate word of God, Jesus, the eternal word of God, remember, that's who he is? holds all things together. Right now, Jesus is holding your life together. Right now, Jesus is holding my marriage together. Right now, Jesus is helping me understand how he can hold my finances together. That when we make him the center of our lives as the word of God, the eternal living word of God, he comes into our world and he teaches us how everything is held together. Now, you might be going through a time where it doesn't feel like your life is being held together by Jesus. You maybe feel like your life is like spiraling out of control and you're confused about questions about the future. You're overwhelmed about the state of your relationship with your kids. You're overwhelmed if you're a leader about the state of your church and leadership issues and crises and all that stuff. I know that feeling. Like I said in session one, I'm a pastor at a church and not just any church, but a church plant, which is often, you know, something that nobody decides to do. You get called to plant a church for a reason because nobody thinks it's a great idea. 
It's just hard work. And in all of those phases of our lives, I'm not sure where you're at, there's moments where we feel everything is just out of control. But the eternal incarnate Jesus, the Word of God, wants to communicate to you and to me today that He can show you what it means that He holds all things together. Can you just believe that today? See, when we take the Bible seriously and when we let it really speak to us, the promises of Jesus and the promises of the Bible come alive in this deeper way. That in the letter of the Colossians, who were a church in the first century trying to make sense of like what it means to, what it means to follow Jesus, they get this letter from Paul and, and they realize, oh yeah, Jesus, he's like the word of God. Like he's holding all things together. He's God's speech holding everything together. So just to recap, that's the first way that the idea of word of God is spoken about in the Bible, that it points to Jesus and it's talking about Jesus. Now, the second way, okay, the second way that the Bible talks about the word of God is it has to do with the spoken word of God that Jesus used when he was teaching. So the teachings of Jesus and the spoken message of Jesus, basically the preaching and the teaching often called the testimony for some of you, maybe you've heard the, the word, the kerygma, the proclamation that Jesus is Lord, is the word of God. So think about it. That's the spoken word of God. It's spoken, people heard it, people received it, and then they thought, this is the real deal. I'm like surrendering my life to whatever he said. Okay? Most people in the ancient world encountered Jesus, not only as the incarnate word of God, but as the one who was the spoken word of God. That's why when they heard him speak, some of them said he speaks with a kind of authority we've never seen before. Because the word of God, Jesus, now is speaking and those words are coming alive by God's spirit in people's hearts. Now, we often forget this, that most of the people in the ancient world probably couldn't read. So the spoken word of God is actually the best way for them to understand the word of God, to hear it audibly, to feel it, to memorize it. Actually, the only Bible that they had at the time that would have been written was the Hebrew Bible, was the story of Israel. And most people didn't know how to read that or understand it. And also, here's for an assumption that was mind-blowing for me. Ready for this? That even in the Hebrew Scriptures, most of the Hebrew Bible for a long time was just consonants and no vowels. Like, can you imagine reading something with just no vowels in it in whatever language you're comfortable in? Like, think about how hard it would be to translate a passage if you just tried to map it out. Like, what does this even mean? Like, what kind of vowels fit here? So the way that the, even the Jewish people learned un to understand their Hebrew Bible, which was written, was by speaking it out loud so they could hear where the vowels would fit when they learned it. So even the words that they had that were written were spoken out loud. Now, this often shocks people because we are a textual culture. We, we live in texts. We have Bibles. We can circle words. We can make arrows. We can make comparisons. Actually, your Bible right now has a reference section at the bottom pointing you to all the verses that might apply to this verse we just read. That's such a new concept. And it's a wonderful thing that we have, but this gift some, sometimes blinds us to the idea that Jesus is the Word of God first, that the spoken words of Jesus were the words of God second, and only third do we understand the Bible speaking as the word of God, which is the Bible we have today. This is the word of God. If people don't learn that, I think they often get confused and overwhelmed when they hear word of God. Or they're like, I kind of doubt 
I understand everything in the Bible, the word of God. Does that mean like I also shouldn't trust in Jesus? Or does that mean I don't trust anything in the Old Testament anymore? Or does that mean I don't trust, you know, somebody preaching from the Bible? No, no, remember, like the, the way we use the language of word of God has developed in three different steps. And so I just want to show you how the Bible actually introduces us to this so that it can correct the way we think about this. So I just want to spend the last few minutes we have together thinking about the first two ways the Bible speaks about the Word of God. Do you remember them? Think about it. If you're sitting next to someone, go like this. Do you remember them? First, Jesus, eternal, incarnate Word of God. Second, the oral, spoken words of Jesus while he's alive, while he's with his disciples, words of God, right? The disciples in nowhere in the scriptures are told by Jesus to write down what he's saying. He's just teaching and speaking and sharing. And they hear it and they're like, this, these are words from God. This has got to be God, right? So let's just camp here for a bit so we don't get too overwhelmed. And in session three, I'll move us closer to the third part, which is the written words that we have in our Bible. So the Bible introduces us to things that we know that are often called the oral spoken words of God. Now, you might be surprised at this. There's things that we do today that are not in the Bible. So we already believe in the spoken words given to us by early Christians without even realizing it. Like, like, let me give you one example. The Bible, nowhere does it say that we should gather together to worship on Sunday. You might be watching this in church on a Sunday. How did that happen? It happened because we trust the spoken stories and the passed on teachings and practices that came to us from the earliest Christians. We, we kind of don't always know what they are, and we have to be careful that we don't get lost in believing traditions of men. The Bible actually warns about this. That we wouldn't get lost to believe anything that someone says as if it's God's word. The Bible tells us to discern and to test what people say. But over time, one thing that's been tested time and time again is that the earliest followers of Jesus said, now that Jesus is alive and the resurrection is real, Sunday will become the special day of remembering that and that's why we gather today. And now if there's people who are looking for a specific word, they won't find that in the Bible. Or if you try to look up the word Christmas in the Bible, it's not in there. And different things that we celebrate are just not there. The word Trinity, the way we even use it, it's not in the Bible. The ideas of the Trinity are all over the Bible. But the word Trinity is not in the Bible. So there's a spoken way that we trust that God is speaking to us before something is even written. I want to show you one of the most controversial ones. And this will require us looking at the Bible together. That in the book of Acts, we have the time when the church is growing and making a mess and causing fights and confusion. Fun times. If you're part of a church, you realize nothing has really changed. But we, we are learning all the time to discern how Jesus is speaking and how his spirit is at work. And the earliest Christians had to do this. But at one point when Paul is talking in the book of Acts, he has this profound moment when he's talking to people and speaking to them. And he says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. You'll, you'll just see it on the screen. It says this. In everything I did, Paul says, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words, 
the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Like, I've never met anyone who doesn't think it's more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, unless you have small kids who just want, 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 right? And I have small kids, so I know that feeling. But in a sense, Paul says something that we almost take for granted. He says, you know what? I'm just really telling you what the Lord Jesus once said, that it's more blessed than to receive. Now think about it. Do you believe that? I do. Because I believe Jesus and I believe the scriptures. But here's one thing that I never realized, that nowhere in the Gospels in the New Testament do we ever have Jesus saying that. Like, how do we know that Jesus said that if it's not written in the words? Paul is showing us that already, even in the New Testament, there was a spoken authority about things that Jesus said that didn't have to be written down. They were just believed and trusted and passed on orally. They were the spoken words of God. And Paul uses them as an authority when he's speaking. He's like, listen, we're just going to do what Jesus said. Nobody's thinking what we're thinking. Well, where did he say that? Can I look it up? Well, where would I look that up? Like, nobody has that question. And this is one point that I want to make, that sometimes we forget that our primary questions are not the primary questions that people in the Bible have. So if we're not careful, we can make our modern question override the context of the Bible and we force our question on the Bible. And that's a really dangerous thing to do. Actually, it makes us kind of confused about how to even understand the Bible and embrace it and trust it. So remember, the Word of God is Jesus first. And then we get the spoken word of God, which is the teachings of Jesus that were passed on and shared on and on and on into the first century. Now, you might be wondering, like, what happened? And, and why didn't the spoken words of Jesus get written down right away, like while he was talking, like with a scribe? You say it, I'll say it again. Well, one of the reasons this doesn't happen is that we know maybe from the earliest Christians in the writings of the Bible that many people think Jesus is coming back in their lifetime. They really believe that Jesus said, I'm going to be back and many of you are going to see me. So it almost, they delay the urgency of having to actually transcribe everything right away and put it in writing. You might be shocked, and we'll look at this a little bit more in session three, that actually Paul, the writer that I just referenced, and I, he's actually one of the first people to write and to give us the written words that we call the word of God, which is in our Bible. So two ideas, very, very simple. Jesus is the word of God. And the spoken words of Jesus that are being shared and passed on, they're the spoken words of God. And if you fast forward even into the third and fourth century, this is when the church, I mean, was really, really growing and expanding. And yet Christians are wrestling with how to put together a canon or a Bible that we today call our Bible. And this is one of the early church fathers. He has this profound quote that he shares with people as he's teaching. His name is Cyril of Jerusalem. It's important to know this. It helps us understand our history. This is what he says. This summary of teaching of the faith, which he's sharing with people. He says, I wish you both to commit to memory when I recite it. Not writing it on paper, but engraving it by memory upon your heart. I mean, think about all the way 300 years, even after. 300 years, even fast forward into the New Testament church. There's still kind of this encouragement and this language to say, listen, as I share these words... Just memorize them. Let them kind of live in you. What would it look like if you memorized and believed that it is more blessed to give than to receive? Those are the words of Jesus, Paul says. Do you believe that? How would your life change if you really believed that there's something about the power of God that we experience when we live this spoken word? 
that it, there's a, a, more, a, a special blessing that's almost unleashed in our lives when we practice generosity and not worry so much about what we're going to get in return or who's going to say something about us or post something about us online and all of that stuff. Why is that so beautiful? And why is that a blessing? It's because it's a reflection of God's very nature who gives to us as a generous God. And when we live out of that generosity, we actually practice what it means to want to be people like the incarnate word of God, Jesus, who gave himself for us. I always say this at our church, and I share this with our leaders, that we can never, ever outgive God. Never. He will always be the one who teaches us what generosity looks like. And when we practice the generosity he invites us into, he blesses us. That's like generosity squared, like again. So in this session, we kind of are thinking about the important ideas that Jesus as the word of God is alive and walking and teaching, and then his spoken words, his, his teaching, is communicated through an oral form, memorized, shared out loud. Actually, most of the New Testament, when Paul writes letters to the church, he's sharing them with people who are going to read them with a group of people. That's why it's a great thing if you're in a church setting or in a small group to read a passage out loud, to just hear it. Now, sometimes in the English, we don't feel the rhythm uh, of the cadences of the word like you maybe would have felt in the original language, right? But you can think of a song that you might sing today or a way that you would hear a song that just rings in your mind and it's easy to remember. So it's kind of similar like in the ancient world. Like my kids during the Christmas season, you know, they, they sang Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer all the time. Like I just heard it. I was like, oh, I hate Rudolph even though he's fake, right? But I just heard that song and I, I just knew the song so well, the rhythm of that song, that if they ever said Rudolph the Blue-Nosed Reindeer, I'd be like, pause, pause. That's not how the song goes. He had a red nose. See, that's an example of how a memory and the rhythm of words teach us to understand and memorize something so well that when there's a deviation from it, we're like, wait, wait a second, that's not really how that goes. That's how people would have embraced the authority of the spoken word of God. They would have heard the language that Jesus was there from the beginning, holding all things together, and they would be like, I can memorize that. And some of the early church fathers did an even more profound thing. They put some of those words to music, which is what we experience when we worship together. We don't just use music because we're looking to waste time or bothering you because you need to get out and rush off. We're using music as a way to help us internalize and memorize the theology and the doctrines of the faith in a simple form, which is music. I have a good friend of mine, and he often used to say that if calculus was in music, he would have been an amazing mathematician. Meaning like, if I could just learn anything in a music form, I'll memorize it forever. I'll never forget it. Think about your own life. There's probably a song you learned when you were really, really young that you could still sing right now. Because it's how our brains work, and it's how in the first century people embraced the authority of the oral spoken words among those early followers of Jesus. So as, as we wrap up, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to think about what it would mean to talk to somebody, to help somebody understand the story of Jesus that maybe hasn't really got to the place where they're ready to study and read the Bible. We often will say, well, you got to get there first, but some people are not going to get there first. They're going to maybe see you live the spoken words of Jesus first. That means you take very seriously that the Bible is more than a book. That means you take very seriously that one day you will give an account for how you live to the eternal, incarnate Word of God. You will, and I will. And he's not going to ask us, hey, 
Did you ever learn how to read so you could read the word of God I sent you? He's not going to ask us that. He's going to ask, did you hear people singing and sharing and living the promises of my word? Now, the goal is that when that happens, you would desire to go read the written words of God that we have. Of course, we'll get there. Session three, come back. But just think about how important it is to embrace the authority of Jesus, the incarnate word of God, eternal from all time, holding all things together, and the spoken words of God as well as we move towards understanding and appreciating the authority of the written word of God. I just want to end with a quote before I pray. And it's a quote by one of the most important historians on the topic of the Bible and history that we've had. He passed away a few years ago. And, and this is what he says, and it's, it's mind-blowing to think about this. He says this, that in the history of the people of God, there have been entire countries in which the illiterate population of believers outnumbered the literate population of, believers, of people. So think about that. That in, in the entire history of the world, there's been places in the world where there have been Christians who could not read, who've been fervent and faithful followers of Jesus, among people who were the specialists, the learned, the academics, the, the readers of society. And yet they knew what it meant to not only see the Bible as a book that they could read, but as a book that they were called to live. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? See, because when we understand this, we will experience a revival in our churches that takes the global church and the church around the world that in some places still can't read very, very seriously. When we look at their faithfulness to the kingdom of God and we look at their faithfulness in sacrificing, things that we hear sometimes in the Western world can't even begin to fathom the kind of sacrifices they make. But we can be so proud to be like, oh, well, they can't read and they're not literate and they, the standards of learning that I respect are not met. And we can forget that that's not how Christianity works. Because the Bible is more than a book. The words in the Bible come alive and they were first passed on in oral proclamation form. So I'm going to pray for us as we close. And I'm going to ask that you would consider what it would look like for you to let God use your life to proclaim Him as the Word of God this week with a coworker, with a friend, with someone who's just struggling to believe the Bible and Christianity and just not sure that you would say, even in this moment of, of quiet and prayer, that you would say, God, like, you, your, your spoken authority and your word list made everybody who heard you want to follow you. Some of them followed you for the wrong reasons, for sure. But may my life somehow point people to the fact, not only that I love the Bible, and I, and I do love the scriptures and I want to read it, but I love the Bible because it's making me more like you, because it's pointing people to you. So just join me as we bow our heads and just pray as we close session two together. Father, we thank you for the Son and the Spirit and the way you are at work even now, reminding us of the power of the living words that you have given to us. We thank you for Jesus, the living word, the word eternal that holds all things together. But we also thank you that this Jesus who came incarnate spoke words of life and his followers lived and modeled those words of life in a way that your church grew and erupted and transformed the ancient world. And, and we also thank you that by your spirit, those written words slowly made their way into a written format that we have today and we can appreciate today. We pray that as we understand these things, we would desire to have lives that proclaim you as the word of God, that proclaim that the Bible is more than just a book but it's the transforming way that the words come alive in us 
as we live as your servants in this world. And so we pray you would use even this week to make us more like Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for tuning in for session two. Really, really grateful again. If you need to look some of this over and read it again, or even just slow down and reread the passages that I referenced, uh, take that time and let God speak to you this week. And we hope you make some time to join us for session three coming up soon. Later. Thank you, Dom, for another uh, great message and just helping us fall deeper in love with Jesus. Um, you articulate things so well. I can't thank you enough for the, the great job that you've done in this series. And like Dom mentioned a couple times tonight, this may be brand new information for some of you, and you might have so many questions swirling around your head. If that's the case, uh, feel free to reach out. Uh, text me, email me, message me. I would love to answer some of the questions you might have. I would love to just walk with you in exploring some of the newness of this. Um, I'd be happy to just help you process it and what God is revealing to you and what God may be speaking to you. Know that you are loved and that you are not alone. We're on this journey together. Uh, it's a journey of getting to know Jesus better by connecting with him, by growing, by giving and going to wherever it is he's placed you or wherever it is he may be calling you. But have a great rest of your weekend. Enjoy your Canada Day celebrations. And may the grace and peace of Jesus be with you. Amen.